Hi, I'm Eric, and this is Listen to Sleep, quiet stories and meditations to help you find a little peace at bedtime or anytime. Well, it's the unofficial end of summer and Labor Day weekend here in the United States, and it's a hot one up here at the cabin. We have a heat advisory for this weekend, with the temperatures getting up over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, maybe even closer to 110. (laughs) And uh, I think we'll probably be spending most of the weekend in the swimming hole. Well, I had a really rough night's sleep last night. There has been some deep inner transformation happening for me this summer. And sometimes it can feel like there's a wrecking crew in my mind. And maybe in a way there is, but in a good way, if that makes sense. I don't mean to alarm you at all. I'm doing great. And all of this transformation is welcome and work I'm doing consciously. It's just that sometimes the unconscious seems to get involved and things can get a little weird and intense. Last night was a bit like that for me. But I woke up early this morning and sat for a meditation out on the back porch as the sun was coming up. It was so beautiful that I was literally in tears, also in a good way. After breakfast, I took Bodie and Bandit, who's been staying with us for the week, for a walk up to feed the chickens. And when I came around a corner on the path and felt the rising sun hit my whole body, it stopped me in my tracks. I put my arms up, took it all in, and had the most intense sensations of connection and peace. Toward the end of our walk, my intuition, or inner wisdom, bubbled up a couple of solutions to questions I've been trying to answer with my mind, but I was getting nowhere. I guess I'm just so happy to be feeling more in touch with the world around me every day, and just more and more amazed at how that connection echoes in the world inside me. It's like they're starting to just feel like one big place. I wanted to share that with you. And I want to thank Barbara and Jane for supporting the podcast by joining the Patreon this week. I very much appreciate your support. If these sleepy stories help you, I would appreciate your support to help keep the podcast going. And I've got perks for you, too. You get a free download of the Alice in Wonderland audiobook when you subscribe to the ad-free version of the podcast for just $3 a month through the Patreon. For another $2 a month, you can also get an extra episode every week where I read a longer book serially, which right now is Treasure Island, about halfway through, and it's so good. 
Or if you'd rather not have a monthly subscription, you can support the podcast by buying any of the sleepy classic audiobooks I've already read a la carte for just $5.50 each on listentosleep.com. And they're yours to own and share with family and friends if you'd like. Or you can just leave a tip on the website, and you'll get an email with a couple of special surprises if you do that. Your support, along with that of the advertisers, helps me continue to make two free episodes of Listen to Sleep every week to help folks all over the world get a little better sleep at night and a little more peace during the day. This week's story is a good one that we picked as a group on an Instagram Live on Friday morning. It was so much fun, and I think I'm going to start doing that more often. If you'd like to join us, it will usually be Thursday, Friday, or Saturday mornings, California time. Um, Those are the days that I normally record the podcast, depending on how my schedule is that week. So, if you follow me and Bodhi on Instagram, they'll usually send you a notification when we go live. If you don't, you can find us on Instagram at Listen to Sleep. Let's take a deep breath in. And out. Letting go of the day. Just letting the weight of gravity pull you deep down into the mattress. And another deep breath in. And out. Nothing to do. Nowhere to go. No one to be. This is your time. Quiet time. One more deep breath in. And out. That feels so good. If you get tired while I'm reading to you, that is okay. Just let yourself drift off. Pull Tarnese, Beholder of Ocean. Toldies, Mondath, Arizim. These are the inner lands, the lands whose sentinels upon their borders do not behold the sea. Beyond them, to the east, there lies a desert, forever untroubled by man. All yellow it is, and spotted with shadows of stones, and death is in it, like a leopard lying in the sun. To the south, they are bounded by magic, to the west, by a mountain, and to the north, 
by the voice and anger of the polar wind. Like a great wall is the mountain to the west. It comes up out of the distance and goes down into the distance again. And it is named Poltarnes, beholder of ocean. To the northward, red rocks, smooth and bare of soil, and without any speck of moss or herbage, slope up to the very lips of the polar wind, and there is nothing else there by the noise of his anger. Very peaceful are the inner lands, and very fair are their cities, and there is no war among them, but quiet and ease, and they have no enemy but age, for thirst and fever lie sunning themselves out in the mid-desert, and never prowl into the inner lands. And the ghouls and ghosts, whose highway is the night, are kept in the south by the boundary of magic. And very small are all their pleasant cities, and all folk are known to one another therein, and bless one another by name as they meet in the streets. And they have a broad green way in every city that comes in out of some vale or wood or downland and wanders in and out about the city, between the houses and across the streets. And the people walk along it never at all, but every year, at her appointed time, spring walks along it from the flowery lands, causing the anemone to bloom on the green way and all the early joys of hidden woods, or deep secluded vales, or triumphant downlands, whose heads lift up so proudly, far up, aloof from cities. Sometimes wagoners or shepherds walk along this way. They that have come into the city from over cloudy ridges, and the townsmen hinder them not, for there is a tread that troubleth the grass, and a tread that troubleth it not, and each man in his own heart knoweth which tread he hath. And in the sunlit spaces of the weald, and in the wold's dark places, afar from the music of cities, and from the dance of the cities afar, they make there the music of the country places, and dance the country dance. Amiable, near, and friendly appears to these men the sun, and as he is genial to them and tends their younger vines, 
So they are kind to the little woodland things. And any rumor of the fairies or old legend. And when the light of some distant city makes a slight flush upon the edge of the sky, and the happy golden windows of the homesteads stare gleaming into the dark, then the old and holy figure of romance, cloaked even to the face, comes down out of hilly woodlands and bids dark shadows to rise and dance, and sends the forest creatures forth to prowl, and lights in a moment in her bower of grass the little glow-worm's lamp, and brings a hush down over the gray lands, and out of it rises faintly on far-off hills the voice of a lute. There are not in the world lands more prosperous and happy than Toldi's, Mondath, and Arizim. From these three little kingdoms that are named the inner lands, the young men stole constantly away. One by one they went, and no one knew why they went, save that they had a longing to behold the sea. Of this longing they spoke little, but a young man would become silent for a few days, and then, one morning, very early, he would slip away and slowly climb Poltarni's difficult slope, and having attained the top, pass over and never return. A few stayed behind in the inner lands and became the old men, but none that had ever climbed Poltarni's from the very earliest times had ever come back again. Many had gone up Poltarni's sworn to return. Once a king sent all his courtiers, one by one, to report the mystery to him, and then went himself. None ever returned. Now, it was the want of the folks of the inner lands to worship rumors and legends of the sea. And all that their prophets discovered of the sea was writ in a sacred book. And with deep devotion, on days of festival or mourning, read in the temples by the priests. Now all their temples lay open to the west, resting upon pillars, that the breeze from the sea might enter them. And they lay open on pillars to the east, that the breezes of the sea might not be hindered. And this is the legend that they had of the sea, whom none in the inner lands had ever beholden. 
They say that the sea is a river heading towards Hercules. And they say that he touches against the edge of the world. And that Poltarnes looks upon him. They say that all the worlds of heaven go bobbing on this river and are swept down with the stream, and that infinity is thick and furry with forests through which the river in his course sweeps on with all the worlds of heaven. Among the colossal trunks of those dark trees the smallest fronds of whose branches are man-knights, there walk the gods. And whenever its thirst, glowing in space like a great sun, comes upon the beast, the tiger of the gods creeps down to the river to drink. And the tiger of the gods drinks his fill loudly, whelming worlds the while, and the level of the river sinks between its banks ere the beast's thirst is quenched and ceases to glow like a sun. And many worlds thereby are heaped up dry and stranded, and the gods walk not among them evermore because they are hard to their feet. These are the worlds that have no destiny, whose people know no God. And the river sweeps onwards ever. And the name of the river is Oriathon, but men call it Ocean. This is the lower faith of the inner lands. And there is a higher faith, which is not told to all. Oriathon sweeps on through the forests of infinity, and all at once falls roaring over an edge, whence time has long ago recalled his hours to fight in his war with the gods, and falls unlit by the flash of nights and days, with his flood unmeasured by miles into the deeps of nothing. Now, as the centuries went by, and the one way by which a man could climb Poltarnes became worn with feet, more and more men surmounted it, not to return. And still they knew not in the inner lands upon what mystery Poltarnes looked. For on a still day and windless, while men walked happily about their beautiful streets or tended flocks in the country, suddenly the west wind would bestir himself and come in from the sea and he would come cloaked and gray and mournful and carry to someone the hungry cry of the sea, calling out for bones of men. And he that heard it 
would move restlessly for some hours, and at last would rise suddenly, irresistibly, up, setting his face to Poltarni's, and would say, as is the custom of those lands when men part briefly, till a man's heart remembereth, which means farewell for a while. But those that loved him, seeing his eyes on Poltarni's, would answer sadly, till the gods forget, which means farewell. Now the king of Arizim had a daughter who played with the wild wood flowers and with the fountains in her father's court and with the little blue heaven birds that came to her doorway in the winter to shelter from the snow. And she was more beautiful than the wild wood flowers or than all the fountains in her father's court, or than all the blue heaven birds in their full winter plumage when they shelter from the snow. The old wise kings of Mondath and of Toldes saw her once as she went lightly down the little paths of her garden and turning their gaze into the mists of thought, pondered the destiny of their inner lands. And they watched her closely by the stately flowers, and standing alone in the sunlight, and passing and repassing the strutting purple birds that the king's fowlers had brought from Asagehan. When she was of the age of fifteen years, the king of Mondath called a council of kings, and there met with him the kings of Toldes and Arizim. And the king of Mondath in his council said, The call of the unappeased and hungry sea, and at the word sea, the three kings bowed their heads. Lures every year out of our happy kingdoms more and more of our men. And still we know not the mystery of the sea. And no devised oath has brought one man back. Now thy daughter... Arizim is lovelier than the sunlight, and lovelier than those stately flowers of thine that stand so tall in her garden, and hath more grace and beauty than those strange birds that the venturous fowlers bring in creaking wagons out of Asagehan, whose feathers are alternate purple and white. Now he that shall love thy daughter, Hilnarik, whoever he shall be, is the man to climb Poltarnes and return, as none hath ever before, and tell us 
upon what Potarnes looks. For it may be that thy daughter is more beautiful than the sea. Then from his seat of council arose the king of Arizim. He said, I fear that thou hast spoken blasphemy against the sea, and I have a dread that ill will come of it. Indeed, I had not thought she was so fair. It is such a short while ago that she was quite a small child, with her hair still unkempt and not yet attired in the manner of princesses. And she would go up into the wild woods unattended and come back with her robes unseemly and all torn and would not take reproof with a humble spirit but made grimaces even in my marble court all set about with fountains. Then said the king of Toldes, Let us watch more closely, and let us see the princess Hilnarik in the season of the orchard bloom, when the great birds go by that know the sea, to rest in our inland places. And if she be more beautiful than the sunrise over our folded kingdoms when all the orchards bloom, it may be that she is more beautiful than the sea. And the king of Arizim said, I fear this is terrible blasphemy. Yet will I do as you have decided in council. And the season of the orchard bloom appeared. One night the king of Arizim called his daughter forth on his outer balcony of marble. And the moon was rising huge and round and holy over the dark woods and all the fountains were singing to the night. And the moon touched the marble palace gables, and they glowed in the land. And the moon touched the heads of all the fountains, and the gray columns broke into fairy lights. And the moon left the dark ways of the forest and lit the whole white palace and its fountains, and shone on the forehead of the princess. And the palace of Arizim glowed afar, and the fountains became columns of gleaming jewels and song. And the moon made a music at its rising, but it fell a little short of mortal ears. And Hilnarik stood there wondering, clad in white, with the moonlight shining on her forehead. And watching her from the shadows on the terrace stood the kings of Mondath 
and told these. They said, She is more beautiful than the moonrise. And on another day, the king of Arizim bade his daughter forth at dawn, and they stood again upon the balcony. And the sun came up over a world of orchards, and the sea mists went back over Poltarnes to the sea. Little wild voices arose in all the thickets. The voices of the fountains began to die, and the song arose in all the marble temples of the birds that are sacred to the sea. And Hilnarik stood there, still glowing with dreams of heaven. She is more beautiful, said the kings, than morning. Yet one more trial they made of Hilnarik's beauty, for they watched her on the terraces at sunset, ere yet the petals of the orchards had fallen and all along the edge of neighboring woods the rhododendron was blooming with the azalea, and the sun went down under craggy poltarnies, and the sea mist poured over his summit inland, and the marble temples stood up clear in the evening. But films of twilight were drawn between the mountains and the city, Then from the temple ledges and eaves of palaces the bats fell headlong downwards, then spread their wings and floated up and down through the darkening ways. Lights came blinking out in golden windows. Men cloaked themselves against the gray sea mist. The sound of small songs arose, and the face of Hilnarek became a resting place for mysteries and dreams. Then all these things, said the kings, she is more lovely. But who can say whether she is lovelier than the sea? Prone in a rhododendron thicket at the edge of the palace lawns, a hunter had waited since the sun went down. Near to him was a deep pool where the hyacinths grew, and strange flowers floated upon it with broad leaves. And there the great bull Garyax came down to drink by starlight, And waiting there for the Garyax to come, he saw the form of the princess leaning on her balcony. Before the stars shone out, or the bulls came down to drink, he left his lurking place and moved closer to the palace to see more nearly the princess. The palace lawns were full of untrodden dew, and everything was still when he came across them, holding 
his great spear. In the farthest corner of the terraces, the three old kings were discussing the beauty of Hilarnik and the destiny of the inner lands. Moving lightly, with a hunter's tread, the watcher by the pool came very near, even in the still evening, before the princess saw him. When he saw her closely, he exclaimed suddenly, She must be more beautiful than the sea. When the princess turned and saw his garb and his great spear, she knew that he was a hunter of Gariak's. When the three kings heard the young man exclaim, they said softly to one another, This must be the man. Then they revealed themselves to him and spoke to him to try him. They said, Sir, you have spoken blasphemy against the sea. And the young man muttered, She is more beautiful than the sea. And the kings said, We are older than you and wiser, and know that nothing is more beautiful than the sea. And the young man took off the gear of his head and became downcast, and he knew that he spake with kings, yet he answered, By this spear she is more beautiful than the sea. And all the while the princess stared at him, knowing him to be a hunter of Gariak's. Then the king of Arizim said to the watcher by the pool, If thou wilt go up Poltarnes and come back, as none have come, and report to us what lure or magic is in the sea, we will pardon thy blasphemy, and thou shalt have the princess to wife, and sit among the council of kings. And gladly thereunto the young man consented. And the princess spoke to him, and asked him his name. And he told her that his name was Athelvoke, and great joy arose in him at the sound of her voice. And to the three kings he promised to set out on the third day to scale the slope of Poltarnes and to return again. And this was the oath by which they bound him to return. I swear by the sea, that bears the worlds away, by the river Oriathon, which men call ocean, and by the gods and their tiger, and by the doom of the worlds, that I will return again to the inner lands, having beheld the sea. And that oath he swore with solemnity that very night in one of the temples of the sea. 
but the three kings trusted more the beauty of Hilnarek even than to the power of the oath. The next day, Athelvok came to the palace of Arizim in the morning, over the fields to the east and out of the country of Toldes. And Hilnarek came out along her balcony and met him on the terraces. She asked him if he had ever slain a Gariak, and he said that he had slain three. And then he told her how he had killed his first, down by the pool in the wood. For he had taken his father's spear and gone down to the edge of the pool, and had lain under the azaleas there, waiting for the stars to shine, by whose first light the Gariaks go to the pools to drink. And he had gone too early, and had had long to wait, and the passing hours seemed longer than they were. And all the birds came in that home at night, and the bat was abroad, and the hour of the duck went by, and still no Gariak came down to the pool, and Athelvok felt sure that none would come. And just as this grew to a certainty in his mind, the thicket parted noiselessly, and a huge bull Gariak stood facing him on the edge of the water and his great horns swept out sideways from his head, and at the ends curved upwards, and were four strides in width from tip to tip. And he had not seen Athelvok, for the great bull was on the far side of the little pool, and Athelvok could not creep round to him for fear of meeting the wind or the Gariaks, who can see little in the dark forests, rely on hearing and smell. But he devised swiftly in his mind while the bull stood there with head erect just twenty strides from him across the water. And the bull sniffed the wind cautiously and listened, then lowered his great head down to the pool, and drank. At that instant, Athelvok leapt into the water and shot forward through its weedy depths among the stems of the strange flowers that floated upon broad leaves on the surface. And Athelvok kept his spear out straight before him, and the fingers of his left hand he held rigid and straight, not pointing upwards, and so did not come to the surface, but was carried onward by the strength of his spring and passed unentangled through the stems of the flowers. When Athelvok jumped into the water, the bull must have thrown his head up, startled at the splash. Then he would have listened and have sniffed at the air, 
and neither hearing nor scenting any danger, he must have remained rigid for some moments. For it was in that attitude that Athelvoke found him as he emerged breathless at his feet. And striking at once, Athelvoke drove the spear into the garriac, and the terrible horns came down. But Athelvoke had clung to one of the great horns and had been carried at terrible speed through the rhododendron bushes until the garriac fell. But to Hilnaric listening, it was as though one of the heroes of old time had come back again in the full glory of his legendary youth. And for a long time, they went up and down the terraces, saying those things which were said before and since, and which lips shall yet be made to say again. And above them stood Poltarnes, beholding the sea. And the day came when Athelvoke should go, and Hilnaric said to him, Will you not indeed most surely come back again, having just looked over the summit of Potarnes? Athelvoke answered, I will indeed come back, for thy voice is more beautiful than the hymn of the priests when they chant and praise the sea. And though many tributary seas ran down into Oriathon, and he and all the others poured their beauty into one pool below me, yet would I return, swearing that thou were fairer than they. And Hilnaric answered, The wisdom of my heart tells me, or bold knowledge or prophecy, or some strange lore, that I shall never hear thy voice again. And for this I give thee my forgiveness. But he, repeating the oath that he had sworn, set out, looking often backwards until the slope became too steep and his face was set to the rock. It was in the morning that he started, and he climbed all the day with little rest, where every foothold was smooth with many feet. Before he reached the top, the sun disappeared from him, and darker and darker grew the inner lands. Then he pushed on so as to see before dark whatever thing Poltarnes had to show. The dusk was deep over the inner lands, and the lights of cities twinkled through the sea mist when he came to Poltarni's summit, and the sun before him was not yet gone from the sky. And there below him was the old wrinkled sea, smiling and murmuring a song and he nursed little ships with gleaming sails, and in his hands were old regretted wrecks, and mast all studded over with 
golden nails that he had rent in anger out of beautiful galleons. And the glory of the sun was among the surges as they brought driftwood out of isles of spice, tossing their golden heads. And the gray currents crept away to the south like companionless serpents that love something afar with a restless love. And the whole plain of water, glittering with late sunlight, and the surges, and the currents, and the white sails of ships, were all together like the face of a strange new god that has looked at a man for the first time in the eyes at the moment of his death. And Athelvok, looking on the wonderful sea, knew why it was that the dead never return. For there is something that the dead feel and know, and the living would never understand, even though the dead should come and speak to them about it. And there was the sea, smiling at him, glad with the glory of the sun. And there was a haven there for homing ships, and a sunlit city stood upon its margin, and people walked about the streets of it, clad in the unimagined merchandise of far sea-bordering lands. An easy slope of loose rock went from the top of Poltarnes to the shore of the sea. For a long while, Athelvok stood there regretfully, knowing that there had come something into his soul that no one in the inner lands could understand, where the thoughts of their mind had gone no farther than the three little kingdoms. Then, looking long upon the wandering ships and the marvelous merchandise from alien lands and the unknown color that wreathed the brows of the sea, he turned his face to the darkness and the inner lands. At that moment, the sea sang a dirge at sunset for all the harm that he had done in anger and all the ruin wrought on adventurous ships. And there were tears in the voice of the tyrannous sea, for he had loved the galleons that he had overwhelmed and he had called all men to him and all living things that he might make amends because he had loved the bones that he had strewn afar. And Athelvok turned and set one foot upon the crumbled slope and then another and walked a little way to be nearer to the sea. And then a dream came upon him, and he felt that men had wronged the lovely sea because he had been angry a little, because he had been sometimes cruel. He felt that there was trouble among the tides of the sea because he had loved the galleons who were dead. Still he walked on 
and crumbled stones rolled with him. And just as the twilight faded and a star appeared, he came to the golden shore and walked on till the surges were about his knees, and he heard the prayer-like blessings of the sea. Long he stood thus, while the stars came out above him and shone again in the surges. More stars came wheeling in their courses up from the sea. Lights twinkled out through all the haven city. Lanterns were slung from the ships. The purple night burned on, and the earth, to the eyes of the gods as they sat afar, glowed as with one flame. Then Athelvoke went into the haven city. There he met many who had left the inner lands before him. None of them wished to return to the people who had not seen the sea. Many of them had forgotten the three little kingdoms, and it was rumored that one man, who had once tried to return, had found the shifting, crumbled slope impossible to climb. Good night.